Amen. I think I was next, so I came up at the right time. I even give you, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. Uh, man, love the singing. And uh, it's always a blessing uh, to be in a service where the music prepares us for the preaching of the Word. It's been a wonderful day today uh, here in our church and uh, thankful to see guests this morning, returning guests, and glad to see you here tonight, uh, keeping your appointment with the Lord. And I know you came for the uh, soup and chili, or I'm not sure what we're having afterwards. No, um, you came to work. That's what you did. You came to work tonight, get our church ready for Christmas. We were working on Christmas and the choir practice, and I, I, my eyeballs were starting to sweat because of Christmas time and singing all the hymns about Jesus. And I uh, mean, I just, I just love uh, this time of year. It's very, um, it's very sobering and a privilege to be in a church that celebrates the birth of Christ. Uh, we won't stand just yet, but if, you've had, if you're in John chapter 6, we're going to spend some time here. And just to kind of set the scene of where we are, in John chapter 6, we have Jesus, uh, in the beginning of that chapter, He, is, he feeds the 5,000, a notable miracle that uh, we've heard preaching and teaching on. And and how he meets the need and reminds me of the song that we did sing for our missions conference, Give Ye Them to Eat. And this is an example of that. Jesus Christ took care of the, the hungry multitude with him. And as he feeds the 5,000, they gather up the fragments and they've got the 12 baskets remaining. And as he is meeting their physical need, this great multitude of people want to take Jesus by force and make him their king. And he departs from them and uh, sends his disciples on, uh, on a journey in a boat. And then he dismisses the people. He takes care of their other needs and is with them. So Jesus and the disciples are not together. And another miraculous event happens that we're well aware of and know if, we've, if we're in our Bibles. And that is when Jesus walks on the water. And Really, I think he comes to maybe give the disciples a hand because as they're rowing, as they're traveling in their boat, um, they're faced with a storm. They're doing what Jesus told them to do and they're faced with a, uh, a wind in their face and waves against them. But in the midst of this storm, we see Peter. Not in this chapter, obviously in Matthew, you would read that, but we see where Peter walks on the water. And so this chapter opens up uh, with a great uh, display of God's power, God's compassion through His Son, Jesus Christ. But then one of the greatest parts of this chapter that I enjoy is this part starting in 22. We're not going to read all of that, but where Jesus talks about being the bread of life. If your Bible has headings, a lot of times this is called the discourse on the bread of life or Jesus the bread of life. So we're just going to read one verse. If you'll stand with me, please. We'll read verse 35 of John chapter 6. Verse 35 of John chapter 6. One verse. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. We can't read this verse learn about the bread of life without it bringing the lost and those who know the Lord to a decision. It's that powerful. Lord, we thank you for our time together. Lord, would you help all of us understand your word, your scripture, 
Lord, uh, these words are uh, so profound, uh, but yet so simple for those that are spiritually minded and, and wanting to go in the right direction with their spiritual walk, with their walk with you. Lord, I pray you would help us understand how you're carrying us from the physical to the spiritual realm, from the physical life to the spiritual life. And Lord, you want to impart that so much the more, uh, even at the end of this year, going into the next year. So Lord, we need your help today with this chapter, with these scriptures. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. As I mentioned, um, just the opening opening part of the, the message there with the chapter. Um, get my notes here. So Jesus, the bread of life, he's feeding the 5,000. I want to point your attention to verse 2. Jesus had a, a crowd most often following him, and Jesus knew the hearts of the people in the crowd. He was not taken by the crowd. He wasn't mesmerized by the crowd, as some might be. Verse 2, it says, A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And so, if, nothing, if for nothing else, people followed him because uh, they got to see maimed arms and legs restored. They got to see people with debilitating diseases healed. They got to see the blind receive their sight. They got to hear the deaf. They got to hear the deaf. They got to see the deaf uh, receive their hearing. And so, um, as this crowd is following him, uh, they get hungry. They need to be fed, and he takes care of that need. In verse, I already mentioned to you in verse 14 and 15 how once this happened, this is a truth, in verse 14, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. They're thinking back to the one who would bring bread to them, the manna to them. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And I, I, I may just go through this again because I, I think there's some points here I want to, to, to hit before I get a little further. But as he, I want to say, slips the multitude, and really he doesn't. He spends time with them and dismisses them, but he sends the disciples away. But in verse 21, as Jesus joins the boat, as his disciples are obeying him, and as they're rowing to their destination and they meet the storm, they meet the resistance, they meet the wind, they meet the waves, that's a good reminder that when we are in the boat of our life, obeying God, going where we're supposed to go, going in the direction God has called us to go in, doing the will of God, you're going to meet some storms. You're going to meet some resistance. You're going to meet some difficult times. And this is when one commentator even was to go far enough and say Jesus saw them, saw their needs, saw them in the predicament they, they were in and joined the boat. I don't know if that is exactly why Jesus did that. Maybe it was. It's a good, it's a good inclination that it could have been. It would sound like our Savior to help his disciples out. But in 21, then they willingly received him into the ship. And notice what happens. And immediately the ship was at land whither they went. That's awesome. I mean, could you imagine? This is, you're, you're in the storm. All that's going on, they think they see a ghost. Peter cries for help. He almost drowns. Jesus pulls him up. They get in the boat. And as soon as they invite him into the ship, the storm's calm. And immediately, the boat ceases to be under the control of all natural laws. 
and is immediately on the land. I'm not preaching on that, but I just want to bring that to your attention because I think that's pretty great. I mean, that is, that is wonderful that he would do that for them. You could also say that in the storm, if you're not resisting what God wants to do and you let him in, your travels will be much more smoother along the way with him at the helm. But as we get closer to that, as they get to the shoreline, and now as you enter into verse 22, you've got the crowd that he fed, the 5,000. They like the bread. It's good bread. It's from heaven. It was multiplied. I'm sure uh, Jesus being someone who does things excellent would not give bad tasting bread to a lot of people. And he even calls them on it. But they are looking for Jesus. They, 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 they go back and forth uh, across the water trying to find him. They want more food. Man, they, they, they didn't have to do anything. They're just following Jesus. They're watching him perform the miracles. And he knows their need. And he cares for them. And he feeds them. And they think, I, 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 really, I really like this gig. You know, we can follow this man. We can watch these miracles. And we can receive food. And so then you get down to 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? Jesus, how'd you get here? We've been, we've been looking for you. Where, how, did, how did we miss you? He doesn't even address the question. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. They find him, and when Jesus speaks to them, he cuts to the chase about their real motive. In John 5, 40, he also had said this, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I just think it's interesting to note that the people were coming to Jesus not really for life. They were coming for a physical need to be met. And Jesus is trying to get them to see the greater work that he wants to perform in their life. And he tells them in verse 27, uh, don't, don't labor for what you can benefit from me. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. People often will follow the Lord for their personal benefit. What is it that they can benefit from? What is it that's in it for me? What's in it for me? And, and I don't think there's anything wrong in, to go to the Lord for physical needs to be met. We heard that this morning. I mean, Brother Cherry challenged us that there are needs in our lives. We have material needs. We have financial needs that only God can meet. Our church has needs that only God can meet. Well, who else are we going to go to? But I believe he draws a stark contrast between that and just wanting the belly to be full. And how often can we as Christians end up with the wrong motive because we've set our sights on something so low as just for the belly to be full today, the day to not be hard, to live in comfort. If you remember when Pastor Hardy was preaching to us about being born in this country and just something that he shared with us about himself personally was that he felt that God had allowed him to be born into the family he was in and where he was so that he could have the material means to see the work of God go forward. Yeah. Laboring not 
for the meat that perisheth, but for the meat that brings everlasting life. If, if you remember the lady at the well, Jesus met her and he was trying to communicate with her. You know, he didn't talk to her about being the bread of life. He talked to her about being the living water. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would always talk to people and reach people in the context of which sometimes their need was founded in? She was there hoping that this everlasting water could quench her thirst so that this poor lady wouldn't have to go out into the heat of the day and draw the water and work and toil. And may I just say, it's never God's order to make us not laborers. Um, Adam was working before the fall, so work is not sinful. Uh, God's not trying to get us to not work. But what he is trying to get us to do is labor for that which lasts. So the woman at the well wanted her thirst quenched, but he was after her soul. He said, if you take of me, that means Jesus, the living water, you will never thirst again. Bold statements. See, food, bread, and water are important to sustain life, but it's Jesus who is essential for spiritual life. Jesus is essential for eternal life. And then they even asked him in 28, and they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he had sent. And not to just think that there's just common people in this group or just everyday laborers. You have in this group scribes, lawyers, Pharisees, as well as the everyday people that were like Jesus in the town of Nazareth that he grew up in. And so they had the word of God. In fact, uh, if we were to go back into Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, uh, through the writing of Moses, and now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. In Micah 6, 8, in fact, in Micah 6, 8, we studied this in uh, our Sunday school hour not long ago as we were going through the, the, the uh, series in Avoiding Confusion where we talked about justice. Micah 6, 8, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Amen. That's Old Testament, right? I mean, does that still apply today? To walk justly? It does. If we were to think the Old Testament didn't, didn't apply, and it does, Jesus in Matthew 5, 48 if I could say it this way, he, he upped the ante or he upped the, the standard. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Anybody been perfect today? It's Sunday. I mean, if you're going to be perfect on a day, we should be trying to be perfect on Sunday. No. Uh, but God's good. God's merciful. You know, knowing that we, these three verses here, really do cut out or, or help us see the work God wants us to do. The work of the spiritual life. Four things in Deuteronomy chapter 10. 
four, four items in Micah 6, 8. And then Jesus telling us the standard to get into heaven is perfection. And we would all say, well, there's no one perfect. In fact, we're reading about him now. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that's perfect. Just admitting that is probably a good first step for someone to admit their sin, that they know they're not perfect, that they are a sinner, and that they can't meet the requirements of God. I, I can't do that. Uh, that's impossible. Uh, I, I want to do good, but when I try, I seem to find a way not to do good. They ask him in verse 30, What signs showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in heaven, in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Let me just jump down to verse 34. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 35. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So as he's challenging them with this thought about bread, they, they actually give a request and said, Lord, give us this bread. As you follow the questions that the crowd gives Jesus, uh, I'm, not, I'm not landed squarely on what they're asking. <clears throat> I really want to believe that they're asking for the true bread from heaven, because that's what Jesus says he is in verse 32. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. As Jesus is unfolding to them who he is, in light of the requirement that God puts on us to go to heaven, it seems that now we have a choice. We could have this bread, and even the bread that was given to the 5,000. But as we... If you were to read more in chapter 6, you'd realize the people who had the manna in Moses' time received nourishment, and they still died. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of God. I am the manna of heaven. You can choose to take this bread. You can choose me, and through me, you can have eternal life. Through me, you can reach God's standard of perfection. It's not you and I doing the work. In fact, it's a gift. Verse 27, the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. It's a gift. So show us a sign that we might believe. Well, they did have a sign. It goes all the way back to when the Israelites were going through the wilderness for 40 years. God fed them day after day after day after day. He gave them manna. And we, if we've, if we've uh, been in uh, children's Sunday school or children's church, uh, we've talked about the manna and what it looked like and what it may have tasted like and all those things. They had the sign. And Jesus is saying, I have come down from heaven. Give us this bread, they said. They just forgot that Jesus fed them yesterday. If you're looking at this a day before, he just fed 5,000 people. 
Give us this bread. That's why I may think there's actually some sincerity in verse 34 from these people. But he says, I am the bread of God. Verse 36, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And so there's tension here. He says, you're asking for bread and I'm telling you that if you come to me, you'll never hunger. If you believe on me, ye shall never thirst. Come, never hunger. Believe, never thirst. Just think about that for a moment in the context of where these people are. They're looking at Jesus and He's telling them, if you come to Me, you will never hunger again. If you're ever thirsty and you believe on Me, you will never thirst. There has to be a decision made here by those listening to Jesus. You can't walk away from this statement saying, oh, okay. No. He, he, he is, he's either right and he is who he says he is. Because all through chapter 6, he says seven different times, I've come down from heaven. 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 What's he saying? I'm God. I'm God here before you. So what say ye, hearer? All that the Father have given me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He's challenging them for the decision. They're, they're, they're having to make a choice. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. He takes time and explains what salvation is. And he starts in verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Do you know that as, as God is working in the hearts of men, he's putting in them the, the, the need, the thirst, and the hunger. Not physical. The, the spiritual need, the spiritual hunger, the 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 knowledge that something is missing in my life and I just don't know what it is. I just can't put my finger on it. I know I should be this and I know I should go over here, but no matter what I do, no matter how far I progress, no matter what I accomplish, no matter what goes on in my home, I'm just missing something. If you come to me, you'll never hunger. If you'll believe on me, you'll never thirst. God moves in the heart of men, but a man, that's the sovereignty of God, but man still has to make a move to Christ. That's the free will of man. He puts them right here in the same verse. He does it again. I, I won't read it, but he does it again through the, through the, through the chapter. And this is the, that all they're given to me, I should lose nothing. Um, everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. This is a true salvation package, verse. This is, chapter 6 is like 60-something verses of one invitation for us to come and have our thirst forever quenched, to never thirst again, to have our hunger filled, 
to never hunger again. And I know the people I'm preaching to. And we all hunger and thirst. I'm not talking about food. and I know we're on the backside of Thanksgiving. We would love to be honest and say, man, every day I, I, I thirst and hunger after righteousness. I hope that's a true statement. But I think a better prayer for us would be not only draw me near, Lord Jesus, but Lord, would you ever the more give me this bread? We need it. We can, we can try to fill the void with certain vices, with certain activities. Listen, do you know even attending Canaan Baptist Church and serving here and laboring here, if we're not careful, will be an activity that we're using to fill a void that really only Jesus can remedy? Do you know that? Uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get comfortable or... Uh, I don't want to say complacent. That's probably not where I'm driving at, but just comfortable because we're, we're in our place. And I'll tell you, we are in the right place anytime the doors are open for God to do a miracle. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll be feasting on something that's not the bread of life. It could be a good activity. It could be our church. It could be our family. But it's not the bread of life. He says in verse 36, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. That ye also have seen me and believe not. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. He says in verse 37, All that the Father give me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If the Father moves upon someone to come unto Jesus... Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. It's irrevocable. If we come to the bread of life and we receive the bread of life and he is nourishing our soul, that salvation is irrevocable. You can't, you can't lose it. It's forever sealed in heaven forever. So the demands a response. Verse 36, verse 35 demands a response. If our motive is wrong, and we're stuck in the physical, we'll answer Jesus in verse 41 the, ways the, the way the Jews did. Listen to how they answered his call, his uh, statement of, I am the bread of life. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They're quoting Jesus. And then they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven. Here's what they're saying. Isn't Jesus from Nazareth? Um, He said he came down from heaven, but don't we know his natural parents? Don't we know Joseph? Don't we know his mom and dad? Don't we know that? How's this possible? And so he says, Jesus therefore answered and said, and then murmur not among yourselves. No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent him, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 52, they use another strong word to the Jews. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So if we're focused on the physical, and we're only in in this 
with Jesus for our benefit, for what we can get in this life, there's tension with us. We're looking at Jesus and we're, we're, we're basically saying, is he really, can he really meet my need? If you're pursuing Jesus only for the personal and physical benefit and you haven't moved from the physical to the spiritual, uh, you'll respond as the Jews. But if we, have, if we have moved from the physical to the spiritual, we'll respond like Peter did. Take, just turn your page and go over to... Um, Page, um, page, verse, verse 70. Jesus challenges the 12. He's, he had told them, if you come to me and you're hungry, if you come, you'll never hunger. If you believe, you'll never thirst. And I'm not going to take time to look at the latter part of chapter 6, but then he, he talks about Drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And those are, those are strong words. And here's what it's not. It's not transubstantiation. It's not cannibalism. What he's trying to say is, when you partake of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, you become in union with him. It's the same as eating and drinking. You're in union with Christ. And that's, Peter is... Peter is all along this entire journey that we see in Jesus' life in chapter 6. He is all along the way. He's there when they feed the 5,000. Obviously, he's there when Jesus walks in the water and he tries to walk on the water. Uh, He's there as Jesus is consulting and challenging the Jews on their, their mindset, their need for salvation, his statement that I am the bread of life. Peter is all along the way. And it's amazing because they even murmur. Verse 61, And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you? Does my words offend you? And he says, But if there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning that that there were um, who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And then, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Because so many had left. This chapter starts out with 5,000 people being fed. We get to the end of the chapter, it's just Jesus and his twelve disciples. They've left. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus said unto the twelve, will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered, And I believe his answer speaks to someone who has definitely got his eyes off the physical and on the spiritual. Listen to what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When, When we receive the living word, we have eternal life. When we receive the bread of life, we have eternal life. These people were hungry, no doubt. They were under Roman rule. In fact, the Roman government would spend days and days throughout each year just giving entertainment, circuses. He'd get the 
the emperor would give them food. It was easier to entertain the people than it was to care for them. And so they were kind of used to people with power, using the economic situation to rule them and to control them. Jesus wasn't trying to do that. He sincerely wanted to meet their need. But he knew that a government could take care of their food. Anyone could take care of their physical needs. But he wanted to take them to another realm. And he was trying to get them to see that. But they couldn't see it. They were so focused on themselves. They were so focused on what they could do. They missed Jesus' words. He tells them, I'll give you eternal life. You You don't have to work. You don't have to labor. Just come to me. You know what that involves? For many of them, it involved waving the white flag of surrender. Many of them had built a life in this religious system that the Jews had. And Jesus is saying, I can give you eternal life. You know the demands of God. You know what God requires of you. And they knew they weren't meeting the requirements of God. And Jesus offers them eternal life. And each step of the way, as he draws the line in the sand closer and closer to himself, more and more people choose to not follow. To not follow. Come to me. He, it's one long invitation. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Yes, your fathers witnessed great miracles through the prophet of Moses. The whole feeding of the Israelites with manna was to prove that Moses was the prophet of God. But it was God that gave the manna, not Moses. That's a past experience. Jesus is saying, I'm here now. You can have a religious experience. You can have a spiritual experience with me right now, today. Take of me and eat and be mine. But they couldn't. They got offended. It wasn't but people like Peter who would understand. I don't know from the scriptures. I'm assuming Peter knew what Jesus was talking about when he said, drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. But I thought, what if Peter didn't understand, but he just knew there's no other place to go. Who do we go to? Would we go to the Romans? They'll kill us. We go to our Jewish friends. They don't like us either. We're an outcast even with them because we're following you. They had no place to go. But Peter knew, Lord, You've got the words of life. We're sure that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Let me ask you this. Do you feel the hunger in your heart tonight? And I mean that. Are you 100% satisfied? Are you completely satisfied? Can you admit that tonight? Because really that's what Jesus is saying. I can satisfy you completely. Lord, evermore give us this bread. If you'd stand with me, please, just for a short moment of invitation. I know the message has not been long. We're, uh, we're coming to the close of 2022. And if the Lord is good to us, he'll give us 2023. And I know this is a Sunday night crowd, 
And there would be many in here that said, yes, I've, I've partaken of the bread of life. I've come to Jesus. I, I realize I'm a sinner. I know sin was my problem. I gave my life to Christ. I put my dependence upon him. But there maybe there's someone in here today that just says, hey, you know, no matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter whatever activity, what, whatever, whatever I'm grabbing for, it's like there's something in me that's just insatiable. I can't, I just can't feel the void. I can't get over. I, I feel stuck. Whatever that may be, it could be that there's just something there, that God is working in your heart for you to find the hunger satisfied, to find the thirst quenched tonight. And that's Jesus. We'd love to help anybody come to Jesus and never hunger. To come to Jesus, believe on him and never thirst. Lord God, thank you for what you're doing in our lives here. Thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for being the God that completely can fulfill every need that we would ever have in our life. Lord, spiritually, physically, even in our minds, Lord, you would completely satisfy our soul. I pray that we would admit to you where our hungers are, Lord, and let you fill them, let you satisfy our soul. Thank you, Jesus.